Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. Davis has joined the podcast today. He is Franklin Covey's chief people officer. He's been entertaining and inspiring people throughout the world for more than 25 years. He has a deep understanding of leadership, employee engagement, talent management. He has written the book most recently, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this book. There's a lot of wisdom in it. Uh, you could see Stephen Covey's wisdom come through Todd, as well as, as you know, Todd's own additions and engagement with the topics, and that was really fun, too. And uh, Todd, I'm really delighted that you are here with us on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate being invited. So, Todd, let's just start with a book that you've written about how to build effective relationships at work. And this sounds like kind of a silly question, but I, I, I kind of want to get your perspective on why it's important to build effective relationships at work. Yeah, I, I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's a great question. You know, we, we profess at Franklin Covey that culture is, in fact, your ultimate competitive advantage. And so the question is, well, well, what is culture? We all describe it in different ways, but the commonalities are it boils down to the collective behavior of your people. And that collective behavior is all driven by the nature of the relationships between your people. So you can have all the, the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins says, you know, if you've got the right talent on the bus, and that's great, and, that is, and people are your greatest asset, but in the end, it's the nature of the relationships. It drives everything. Certainly, it drives it being a great place to work. I mean, all of us, with very few exceptions, spend more waking hours with our associates that we work with than with our family and friends and our personal lives. And so how nice to, to be able to get along with them. That, well, that's important. The more important thing is the contribution that it makes when you have positive relationships. You know, engagement is a key factor to effective individuals in the workforce. And the number one, the number one driver of engagement is the, the relationships, the way we not just get along, but work well with each other. Um, we're all measured in a lot of different ways because we all have different roles. But the ultimate measure for every one of us is by the results we get. So I would ask your listeners, you know, how do you get your results? And maybe we have a pro golfer listening, but other than a pro golfer or someone who maybe runs a company where they're the only employee, the rest of us get our results with and through other people. And other people are really hard to change. So, so that's why relationships are so pivotal. Well, and I guess what, what motivates the importance of this book in some ways is that you know, you talk about individual performance versus organizational performance in some ways. Or, and I guess the ability to build relationships is the intersection of the individual and the organization. Meaning if you, you know, if you are a high performer, if you're very competent at building effective relationships, that, which, is, which is an individual skill. Uh, that you know matches other people's individual skill, but it's an individual skill specifically that creates the kind of culture that you want to create in an organization. That, that you're exactly right. And those those with that individual skill that are so wonderful, they they do it and model it by starting with themselves. And that's the whole premise of this book. 
we can, we can, you know, I can see this book and say, oh man, I'm so glad somebody wrote this because Peter really needs to work on this or that. And, and while that's natural human tendency, the most effective influential people in the world start with themselves. They, they look in the mirror, so to speak, every day and say, what do I need to do differently? So that's the premise for these 15 practices, the things that I've seen in my roles over many years of coaching others and, and making mistakes myself, those 15 practices, if you will, that continually rise to the top as those things that really accelerate or damage our relationships. Great. Well, let's look at the practices. And, and I there's lots of different ways I do interviews, but your book was organized in such a straightforward, clear way in terms of 15 different practices. I think it's useful to give uh, listeners a taste of what these practices are and to just pick some of them and talk about them. And I'm, I'm most interested in application. That's what I'm always most interested in, which is a lot of these practices that I read through them make a tremendous amount of sense and common sense, and we've heard them, and yet we often fall short of practicing them. So the greatest challenge, and I think you do a nice job in your book of this, is closing the gap between you know knowing what's common sense and living what's common sense. So I'd love to start with practice number one, and partially because, you know, I haven't worn glasses in years, and I just started wearing glasses. Um, so I they think look great, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> they're, they're new. I'm just getting used to them. Um, wear glasses that work is your practice number one. Can you talk about that? You bet. And I, I appreciate the, the lead off on the glasses you got, because honestly, I got my very first pair of actual glasses when I was in the second grade. And prior to getting those glasses... Uh, well, let me back up. I remember the day I put them on, I saw leaves up on the trees for the first time. Now you're thinking, how blind were you? I was pretty blind. What I saw previous to that, when I'd look up on the leaves, I'd see this kind of um, green blob or haze on the trees. And here's the point, Peter. I thought that's what everyone saw. And that's the principle behind wearing glasses that work. We have convinced ourselves over time, the way we see things is the true way, the actual way, things as they really are. And sometimes it is, but more often than not, it's just been shaped by our experiences and our belief system. And, and I'm not suggesting that, gosh, let's throw that away. We have strong beliefs for a reason. But be willing, as the most effective people are and effective at relationships, be willing to step outside from those frames, take them off for a minute and say, am I seeing things as they really are? You mentioned, you know, that uh, Dr. Covey, I, I don't profess, most of most of these practices come from my years of working with the principles and paradigms contained in all of Franklin Covey's world-class solutions. And so he talks about paradigms, and I just drill it down to experiences I've had tied specifically to relationships about considering another person's perspective, considering the lenses there are possibility to improve the relationship. So let me ask an application question about that, because in some ways the most important perspectives to listen to are the ones that are in direct opposition to yours, right? Because that's right. where you have a lot to learn from. And yet at an age where conservatives listen to Fox and liberals listen to MSNBC, that, um, you know, we're, we're really um, led by our confirmation bias and people really tend to be so much more comfortable uh, listening to their own perspectives. So my question to you is, how do we help ourselves get to a place where we could really listen and consider different perspectives? Yeah, such a great question. Well, here's the application at the end of this chapter, and it's one that I live by, that I coach people by. So identify a situation or a relationship that's not going as well as you would like. Okay? 
there's a situation or someone you have some pretty strong beliefs about. And then list all of the reasons why that situation, that relationship is not going well. Write them all out. And then here's the trick. Circle or underline those things in all of your things you've written down that are facts. And by facts, I mean, if you shared them with 10 other people or five other people, they would also agree, readily agree with you on those things. There are some things that will qualify as facts in this activity, but more of them will be your opinions. It's, it's a visual way for me to look at, and I've done this many times, it's really helped to say, okay, that really isn't a fact. Now, I believe that about Peter because that's been my experience for the last five years, but it is an opinion. And then I coach people to say, so just choose one. They may be right, but choose one of those that you might consider, and that's the key word here, consider understanding or looking at a different point of view on that. Someone asked me the other day when they were interviewing, for, interviewing me, said, if you could put a sign up outside your door for people to reflect on while they're waiting to talk to you. Now, it's not like I'm a doctor, I've got this line of patients, but, but it was an interesting question. And I had not been asked that before, obviously. And I thought the sign that came to me would say, have you considered the other's perspective? Have you considered the other's perspective? I have found in my years of coaching, and again, for my own trips as well, when we can, when we can stop and consider, not agree or disagree, but just consider the other's perspective. And I guess it's the practice. It's actually getting some practice in doing it. it. So you're not going to make a list for everybody, but the idea of maybe taking one person you really disagree with and begin to sort of explore that and then maybe you get better at it with other people. That's exactly right. And, and what people, the biggest thing, I, the biggest bunch of feedback I'll hear is, gosh, I tried it, and you were right. It was so uncomfortable for me to let her talk or listen to him talk. It was so uncomfortable because I kept thinking, oh, man, I'm not saying anything. They're going to think I agree with them. They're going to think I'm with them. No, they didn't. They just finally got their opinion out, and you could actually hear it and then start to build it. So, yeah, it is the habit. You're exactly right. Okay, carry your own weather. It's the second practice, but it also, it has a similar kind of challenge to it, which is, you know, this idea that, you know, you, you, you know, rather than being bat around by the perspectives and feelings of other people to kind of look inward and, and build your own attitude and perspective from your own inner strength. Again, totally makes sense. Really hard to do. <laughs> right. And, you know, and it, it kind of goes uh, along with this sort of wear glasses that work. It's especially hard to do when you're, you know, maybe working with people or you're in relationships with people and they might be aggressive or they might be, you know, they, they might bat you around or you might have, you know, a board, you know, you're the CEO and you have a board that's very, very difficult to work with. And how do you, how do you, how do you do it? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. And, and as you as you ask me these questions, how do you do it? I want to just make sure your listeners know, oh, well, Mr. Perfect Todd Davis, he just does all these – no, I trip and follow these all the time. But carry on with her. Let me ask you this, Peter. And I was going to say be honest. Of course you're being honest. Have you ever, ever, ever in your life said something similar to the phrase of, he makes me so mad. Yeah, He really course. frustrates me. Okay, thank you. Well, we all have. And when you think about it – and I don't, want to, I don't want to be too ridiculous here, but when you think about it, what did he or she do to make you so mad? Did they really make you mad? They made you mad. No, what they did was they did something that really bothered you, but then you chose to get mad. 
Well, it's a little more complicated than I think. I, here's what I think happens, which is that I think that they do something that triggers inside me something, and it might be a memory, it might be an experience, it might be, you know, um, uh, you know, my mother did something to me. It could be anything, but they trigger right. inside something me that makes me feel a certain way. That trigger makes me feel. So I get, I get that I own it, and I get that it's mine. And yet, so I could even say, okay, it's, you know, something happened to me recently where somebody did something and, and it triggered something in me and I got angry and I got, and, and I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I get it. I get this is me. I get that they do whatever they're going to do and that's their issue and I own it in whatever way I'm going to own it and that's my issue and, right? And yet I still felt it and I still held on to it. And, and the way I handled it is I wrote the person an email and I said, look, you, you did this. First of all, I said, have I done something that offended you? And, and if I do, I really want to know so that I could apologize. And I, by the way, really feel this energy from you. And I don't know if it's you or I don't know if it's me, but I'd really like to talk about it and address it. And from that point on, from the point that I sent that email, I could now relax a little bit because I'm happy to have the conversation. I might learn something, but to just let it go, I find very difficult, even though I know everything that you're saying. No, it's such a great story. And I want to hear the rest of the story. now. I want to hear how that played out, but, but you're, you just tied into another practice. Practice 13 is making it safe to tell the truth. You made it. It was such a great example. I, I wish I put that in the book, your story just now. You made it safe for that other person to tell you the truth. You were humble. You said, look, maybe it's something I did. I just want to know so I can apologize. And if not, you did this, and I, I want to know how I contributed. You made it very safe for him or her to give you a response. So I really don't want to the rest of the story. But I'm going to do um, I, I would tell you the rest of the story, but I sent the email this morning. So we're oh, going okay, to have to. <laughs> so I haven't. I, haven't uh, um, I don't know the rest of yeah. the story yet, yeah. but I'm, I'm happy no. to follow up with you and let you know. But, but you bring up such a great point, Peter. And it's not, okay, well, so I just have to be numb to all of this. Not at all. Carry your own weather is all about planning. It's all about preparing, understanding yourself well enough to know what triggers you. And again, nobody ever perfects this thing. But I know certain things that trigger me. I know certain people. I know certain meetings and certain situations because of the topic. And I've learned enough about my response that it causes me to step back before the week begins, look at my schedule, and say, okay, what do I value? I value making a difference. I value contribution. I value relationships. I know that these particular, I'm making this up now, I know that these particular meetings trigger me. I want to remember what I value so that when so-and-so says this thing that he always says, I don't spend all my energy on defending that. I step back a little bit and say, okay, I, I respect your feelings. Here's you know, some other alternatives. I'm, I'm making this language up. But that is how we start to make headway on carrying your own weather. I work with a really talented art director. And I actually taught him how to recruit. I recruited for many years and he hadn't. Guy's amazing. We had a we had a really talented candidate that had been through a ton of interviews. Our director of recruitment, his name's Aaron. He had bent over backwards to get her. We got down to the deciding moment. We met with the hiring manager. I was there at this time in this meeting. And Aaron said, we were ready for this hiring manager. Are you ready to go? And the hiring manager said, she's really talented. I like her. I'd like to see a few more candidates. Well, Aaron knew and I knew we were going to lose this top talent. And I wanted to put a fist through the wall, knowing how long we'd worked on this candidate. 
Aaron, much younger than I am, much less experienced than I have, he said to this hiring manager, I'll call him Fred, and he said, well, sure, Fred, you need to see other candidates that you feel comfortable with. We went back to Aaron's office. I said, how did, how did you do that? I wanted to punch him and the wall. And he said to me, much more mature than I am, he said, Todd, in the end, what matters is that Fred feels great about the candidate we hire and that he's in, you know, behind that person 100% of the way. So whether you and I think that this is the right person or not, I, that is carrying your own weather. That is saying, what do I really value as the director of recruitment? I value getting the person that you feel great about. So I'm going to put my emotions aside and I'm going to focus on what really matters. Okay, great. I love that story. I love that story, Todd. And, it's, and it brings me to another point around the challenges of relationships, which is as the director of recruitment, I think you're 100% right, right? Which is that you know, your job is to make sure that Fred ultimately is, is delighted with his choice. On the other hand, as a director of recruitment, you've seen a thousand people walk in and out of the organization and you have an eye towards what's going to really work. And, and maybe this situation is an example, maybe it's others, but where the relationship and the outcome seem to be at odds, right? Where you know, the person feels strongly about something, you care deeply about the relationship, and yet you feel strongly that you have an answer that's really important uh, for the organization, for your own leadership and, and, and their success. How do you balance, and maybe you could jump to a practice here that could support us, how do you balance the, maintaining the relationship when, when, when there's a disagreement about, you know, process or or, you know, how to approach an outcome. So you don't want to give up what's really important. And at the same time, you don't want to give up the relationship too, which is also really right. Important. Right. No, it's great, great, great challenge. It's a great example because it happens all the time. You're right. So in this case, um, I would have, and this is what actually happened on the rest of the story, I would have a very transparent discussion, just like you did with this person that you may have sent to We have a very transparent discussion with equal balance of courage and consideration and say, hey, Fred, um, appreciate your decision on that. In the end, you're the one that needs to feel good about this person. Can I, would you be open to hearing some of my concerns? Sure, absolutely. Here's what I've observed. I've been recruiting for 18 years now. Here is the criteria that you and I agreed on that we met. Let me show you the examples. I know you met with her as well. Here's where I think she covers this. I'd love to hear. So I'm, I'm just, that's kind of the dialogue you would get into. Right. And you do it like you modeled, respectfully but directly. More often than not, you always influence the person to consider your opinion. And ultimately, if Fred is the decision maker, then mm -hmm. what you have an obligation to do, and, and maybe I would argue that, that probably somewhere in between you and your colleague would be the right move, which is to say, yeah, we could totally look at other people. I just want to share with you the risks of passing by this person at this time. She probably right. has two other offers. She makes etc. If you're okay with that risk, it's no problem. But I just want to inform you of that risk so you can make a decision knowing all that. Because he might turn around and it might end up hurting the relationship if Fred said, why didn't you tell me we would have lost that person? I really right. liked her and now right. we've lost her. And, right. and then that ends up hurting the relationship. So it, I, I love what you're saying and it seems like there's some balance but, and, and, and you know, it's, it's sort of making it safe to sell, tell the truth, which is your practice number 13, and also telling all of the truth in a way that supports a robust relationship. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. 
Um, talk for one minute, just because I've always loved this, the emotional bank accounts. I think it's a great concept and, and uh, yeah. it's, it's your practice number eight and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but just share it with listeners. Yeah, Dr. Kelly and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People compared the emotional bank account to the financial bank accounts we're all familiar with. And there are some similarities and some differences. Certainly in both, we make, uh, we make deposits and we take withdrawals. Now, the big difference is in financial bank accounts, we make deposits with the intent of building up a nice reserve and then taking withdrawals as we need them. In the emotional bank account, we make deposits, but never with the intent of taking a withdrawal. Now, because we're human beings, we know we do make mistakes. We take withdrawals. But if we build up a healthy emotional bank account, which is really measured by the level of trust you have with an individual, and the more consistent deposits you make over time, the higher that trust builds, then when we do make the withdrawal, because we're human and we're dumb, we make mistakes, then it doesn't hurt or devastate the relationship because we've got a high enough emotional bank account. I work with a, a really talented colleague here who has a strength of execution. This guy gets things done. Oh my gosh, does he get things done. And that strength can become a weakness when it's at all costs, meaning the cost of relationships. He told me, he confided in me that years ago, he used to buy a box of apology notes because he knew in his, you know, in his drive to get things done, he would be offending people. So he just wanted to be ready to shoot him off a note. And he said, in my immature mind, that's what, I thought that was okay. He's matured a lot since then. But again, so the emotional bank account is never manipulative, and it's not okay to do something really nice for Peter because I got a big project I got to explain. It's still a great practice, I think, to have a box of apology notes. Like not to you, you know. Hopefully, it will take you years to to go through the box. But the idea of you know a willingness right. to apologize is very powerful. No, you're right. Great point. Um, tell me of all of these practices. We probably have time for one more practice. Um, you know, maybe your favorite or the one you think is most important for people to understand? Boy, how about all 15 of them? <laughs> That's why I, we started actually the book for a year with 21 practices. And then, yeah, we just narrowed it down, narrowed it down. I would say, um, I won't talk about both of them, but two come to mind. One, because it's the hardest for me. It's the one I, I, I continually have to work on harder than the others. And that's number six, avoid the pinball syndrome. It's, it's so easy to confuse activity with importance. You know, we're busy, we're tired, we get home at the end of the day or the end of the week, and we, gosh, we've worked our behinds off. And what a real value did we accomplish? Because there's this rush, there's this adrenaline when we're getting a lot of things done, you know, checking off lists and going to meetings and answering email and all of that. So avoid the pinball syndrome is all about stepping back and deciding before the week begins, before the day begins, what is important. But the one that is most, they're all meaningful for me, but I end with practice 15, start with humility, because it really is the foundation for everything else. If I'm going to even take a book off the shelf called Get Better, it's all about how I can get better, I gotta have a pretty big dose of humility to recognize that. And, and the practice is all about recognizing that with humility, it allows us to know where all works in progress, whether I'm the president of a small country or the CEO of a large corporation or the front desk receptionist, we're all in this continuous state of improvement. And we think of, especially in the workplace, we don't talk about humility a lot because I think people confuse it with a weakness. It, there is not a stronger competency that we can have because it allows us to, we, we get our validation from within, not from all of the opinions of others. We're certainly respectful to others, but I'm not seeking out the acceptance or the validation from others. 
Yeah, I often talk about the, the this combination, this necessity to have, you know, maybe an equal measure confidence and humility. That humility in and of itself, you know, may may lead you to not actually believe in yourself. Confidence right. all in itself without humility may lead to arrogance. But this combination of confidence and humility, which is rare and, right. and sweet and, yeah. and you know, um, endearing and connecting. Uh, but it's this this combination of confidence and humility uh, is, I think, really, really powerful. No, you are spot on. And, and not believing in yourself isn't humility. It's self-doubt. It's, you know, humility is a strength. And I, I coach a lot of people on that, including myself. Um, humility is a strength. Todd, it's been such a pleasure. His book is Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at work, Todd Davis, he's the Chief People Officer at Franklin Covey. Todd, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Peter, thank you. It's been my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.